Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the most swell supreme storytelling time. I am your host, Stephen Scott Srebrenik. And today, we have a story about the band Fleetwood Mac. And uh, this praises and criticizes Fleetwood Mac. So uh, get ready for a roller coaster of a ride. There's some action at the end. And uh, I hope you enjoy this one. Um, it was, uh, this story is, uh, let's see, from 19, I mean from 2004. So we're looking at uh, 19 years it took me to get this one to, to, uh, to tell. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you again for tuning in and just uh, we'll be right back after this quick message from Anchor FM. Thank you. All right, folks. This one is called the uh, Fleetwood Mac incident. And uh, there was definitely an incident involved. Anyway, uh, it is really funny how so many times I've wondered if the stuff you hear about it, you know, celebrities in the news is true. And sometimes it is. And sometimes those things are good that we hear. And sometimes those things we hear are not so good. And this is one of those situations where there were what I would call, quote, multiple violations, end quote, by the celebrities in question here um, in Fleetwood Mac, Lindsey Buckingham and, and Mick Fleetwood. And uh, then there was one major violation by the entire band, but I'll get into that shortly. This was back in the summer of 2004 in West Palm Beach, and I was a member of uh, the local 500 uh, part of the International Alliance of Theater and Stage Employees. At that time, I actually did have four jobs. I worked at Books A Million, which was a, a bookstore, and it's a place that was considered one of the worst companies in America to work for, according to the Forbes top worst companies in America. And I also worked at another company that was terrible. Um, I was on the phone working for a company called Center Stage Attractions quote, raising funds for charities, end quote, like uh, for firefighters foundations and the police, veterans funds, and so on. And I did this, uh, you know, here, and I mean, I did this in West Palm Beach, in, and, and, uh, but we called other parts of the country to collect money. Anyway, uh, coincidentally, and unbeknownst to me completely, I had no idea at the time that this company too was one of the worst in America as it was exposed after I left a few short months later that uh, the charities were getting only as much as 11% of what was donated. That is some set of scumbags, right? And um, during that time, I also cleaned houses as a fourth side gig. And believe it or not, because of Florida's you know, cost of living and the fact that I had new child support and everything. I was barely making a living with all that, um, as well as the, you know, crappy pay scale in like books a million, for instance. They were paying me seven bucks an hour. But, you know, just a side job. I just figured I'd make some more money and get some free books. But they all sucked. <laughs> anyway, my main thing that I wanted to be doing, which was only, you know, also part time, was working as a stagehand in West Palm Beach. And I was sober for that entire year of 2004, not smoking any weed at all, even though I was working on many big rock concerts that year. 
And you know, that was rather unique and awkward. I'm not sure what good that actually did in the long run, but you know, that can be analyzed in another story some other time, okay? <laughs> and like any day for a big show like Fleetwood Mac, we were required to be on site to sign in at 7.45 a.m. for the 8 a.m. load-in. So right at 8 o'clock, we started unpacking the five trucks that made up the stage shows for the opening act, some totally forgettable band, I don't even remember who they were, and of course uh, for Fleetwood Mac. It was around 8.20 when a black long stretch limo pulled up and from it emerged Ms. Stevie Nicks. She was dressed all in black, looking lovely in her usual swagger of of a lacy flowing, very feminine dress, a, a feathered stylish hat, along with dark black sunglasses. Alexa, skip! And in her arms was a small clutch purse. And with her, she was carrying her well-groomed Yorkshire Terrier that had a pink bow in its hair. And, you know, the way that the whole thing looked when, you know, it was, it was like seeing royalty walking, you know, walking past. All of us tech guys and crew guys stopped working, you know, for the few moments and kind of stood at attention as she passed. She looked at each of us, waving, mimicking what a queen, what the Queen of England would do walking by her subjects. It was a perfect moment in that, you know, Stevie walked by and acted as rock and roll royalty would be expected to act. But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, though, we all appreciated that she acknowledged us, you know, as some artists are, are not as gracious, you know, truly. But anyway, the morning wore on. And eventually, just until, you know, before lunch break, when the announcement was made that at 4 p.m., when the band comes onto the stage to do their sound check, that all employees of the amphitheater were to turn away from the stage. And if you were caught watching the band before the, you know, and and, and not to be, you know, caught watching the band before the actual show later that night. Now, let's pause for a second, you know. And, and think about that last part of that last sentence, please. The part about turning away from the stage during the sound check. First, I had never heard that one before or since, which is why I'm, I'm focusing on that. Maybe it's because the staff is guilty of not doing their jobs during, you know, sound checks in the past or because the band didn't want to be watched during that time. Either way, I had never heard of that or seen that before or since and the whole thing had the vibe that it was the band not the amphitheater telling them to make the crew submit because that was not the case at all during sound checks for the other bands during that summer which included Kiss and Snoop Dogg Rush, The Cure Tim McGraw, Keith Urban and I was there myself to set up those shows so I know what I experienced and so so like I said a bit earlier you know sometimes the stuff you hear about certain celebrities being not so cool well aw shucks let, let me state what I mean what I mean is sometimes they're total dicks and this is what I had heard about Buckingham and Fleetwood for a long time before this day and sure enough here it was playing out in front of me while I was getting being paid to be there too <laughs> oh <laughs> and, and and I worked you know I worked for the stagehand union, not the amphitheater. You get it? So 
I knew I had no qualms about watching the band during their precious sound check. I also figured that if, that if I was sent home, I had a story to tell either way, you know? But lo and behold, I didn't get home, even though what I did was a pretty provocative thing at four o'clock. She was just before they went on to do the sound check that, that Mick Fleetwood was sternly speaking to his drum tech and go over something I wasn't listening to, but noticed it was kind of tense. A few moments later, Mick Fleetwood takes the stage and begins to warm up for their 20-minute sound check. Me, I walked straight down to the amphitheater floor. Alexa, skip. And, um, yeah, I walked straight down to this amphitheater floor and sat down dead center on the 20th row. I pulled out my flip phone. Yes, it was a flip phone. It was 2004. And I called my friend who I'd known since the eighth grade, Dave Pfeffer. And uh, I held it up in the air for him to hear what I was watching because he would always called himself Stevie Nicks' biggest fan. So, you know, Dave was thrilled that he got to listen to, uh, to them, you know, performing without a crowd and everything else. And overall, it was a great sound check and totally uneventful. And for the life of me, still, after it was over, I could not understand why this subjugated the entire staff of ushers, food vendors, ticket takers, and security. I mean, what the heck, you know, security was told to turn around as well? What kind of prima donna BS is that when you tell security they can't watch what they're supposed to be securing? Anyway, you know, they did nothing for me sitting in the 20th row and letting a friend hear them, you know? So me and the rest of the fellas, we really didn't care you know, that it was Fleetwood Mac and they were acting that way other than they weren't being cool. Anyway, the rest of us were told to, you know, get get some food and we'd set up everything. And when they started serving at six o'clock and get ready for the show and be in position by seven, or if not, working, you know, then, then go home or find a spot to watch the show until 10.15 when we had to come back and be ready to break down the show promptly at 11 and have everything ready to do, you know, in hand for the moment when the band leaves the stage after the encore. And let me tell you folks, when, when working for the, for the union, you know, stage union, timing is, is everything. Break times are enforced, you know, 15 minutes, they'll tell you, you know, after four hours, you got to take a break right now and then, you know, make you take a break, even if you're in the middle of a job. And, um, you know, break times are enforced, like I said, because it's all crucial that it gets done before it costs the union more than, you know, costs the band or the union money, you know. And like at 2 a.m., for instance, after a show, everyone still working at that time would be getting double time. And no one wants to work, wants that pay because, you know, we've been working since eight o'clock in the morning and everybody usually wants to get the F home as soon as we could, you know, it's just that simple. So when the band leaves the stage, Local 500 had one of the quickest loadout times for many bands that traveled nationwide. And we still got paid till 2 a.m. because it was a scheduled union call. (laughs) Yes, yes. But yeah, we would usually get out an hour or more earlier than, you know, than 2 a.m. 
And we'd know we'd still getting paid time and a half for those two hours after midnight, which is always cool. Uh, you know, looking at 55 bucks an hour at that time. Anyway, uh, so next thing is that my coworkers and I go down to craft services. If anybody's unaware, craft services is the place where they serve food on set for concerts and film crews to eat. If you want to film or something, you go to craft services for your food. <clears throat> anyway, we get there and the, the room is relatively full. And there, and there are people, you know, waiting to get food at the catering stand. And it was generally a jovial atmosphere overall. You know, it was 6.16. And we're all eating and having a good time. And then uh, a fully costumed Mick Fleetwood comes in. Now, if you're not aware, Mick Fleetwood's a tall, tall guy. Um, six foot five and... Here he was wearing platform shoes that put him at well over seven feet tall. He also grabbed some grub and sat down like the rest of us and was eating for a few minutes when the drum tech, who he had been dressing down before the sound check, walks into the room. Mick immediately sees him and he stands up from his dinner and walks right over to the young man who hadn't even gotten three feet into the room. And right away, Mick loudly dresses this kid down in front of all of us. Not only ruining the vibe that was cool, we were all having you know, a good time up to that moment, but we couldn't all understand what he was accomplishing by doing that in front of us and wrecking our dinner before the show. Uh, to this day, I can only speculate that he did that to make the kid quit instead of firing him. But hey, uh, you know, I have no idea if that kid might still be his drum tech to this day. No idea. You never know. Anyway... So that was a strange thing for us. We sure didn't enjoy being, you know, in the midst of uh, of that. I mean, this guy's telling everybody to not, I mean, he's dressing down his drum tech in front of all of us and we're eating. And I just looked around the room and I watched as everybody started pushing their plate away like, I'm done, I'm disgusted, I'm, I'm, I'm through with this. And, um, including me, we all felt like, you know, dinner was over once Mick Fleetwood started acting that way. And, you know, the thing is, he really didn't have to do that. He could have pulled that kid aside. He could have pulled him aside and spoke to him outside. He could have walked out that door and said, come with me right now. So it was really inappropriate what he did. Anyway, the show goes on and, uh, you know, it's all well and good. An okay Fleetwood Mac concert. And then 10.15 arrives without any more odd moments. And I'm now backstage, hanging backstage and listening and watching the band. And it was really good, I have to say. This was a, a tour without Christy McVie. So Stevie Nicks was center stage for most of the night, except, of course, for the songs that, you know, lousy Lindsey Buckingham sang. And uh, I wasn't there for the whole show. But I did love what I saw. Honestly... I didn't really want to see this band. I was out in the parking lot talking with people when the show was on for a, for a good portion of it. But anyway, um, you know, after the missteps I saw over the course of the day, which confirmed, you know, the rumors, uh, pun intended, of what I had heard over the years about the rudeness that emanated from particular members of particular bands being less than decent folks to the people around them. And this was one of those days. Now... 
in writing this. I spent a full night driving around, which happened to be a Tuesday night. So there was literally no one on the most of the roads for the three hours that I did happen to ride around on the dark, empty, moonlit roads of the eastern shores of Florida, listening to three full Fleetwood Mac albums. I had all the windows down, the cruise control on, and riding up and down alternate A1A with my title streaming service blasting through my iPhone into the cassette player adapter of my super engine propelled vehicles JBL stereo sound system and came to the conclusion that the album Rumors is an almost perfect record. The album they made before it was good and it laid down the pathway to the possibility of what Rumors became. The album after Rumors, Tusk, to me was inevitably a a letdown as it felt forced and overwrought with songs that seemed like they were trying to be kitschy and came across as simply lame. Think about me, Sarah, and the title track, Tusk, were the only ones that grabbed me when that album came out 40 years ago and still resonates the same with me today after listening to that album that night. And the reason for my digression to explain the listening of this record and the other two as well was me trying to understand the dynamic of a band that had released several unsuccessful albums before these three seminal records of rock and roll, as well as a series of different players in the band being part of the lineup before, uh, you know, what they became was a household name. And if their behavior was ever warranted for the way that they acted. And after thinking about this for a long, long time before I wrote wrote the next part of this tale, now, 19 years later, I still do not believe it was okay for some of the members to act like they did on this particular night. And I thought long and hard about writing this and realized it was just a few years ago that when Fleetwood Mike came around to tour again, Lindsay was promptly kicked out of the last tour that they did and see that his way of being is a consistent lifetime of rudeness and it wasn't just that one time or you know that the other accusations about him being dickish they are things that he has done and are actual incidents of who he is which may not be a nice guy at all in the many years between the release of those albums and the day I'd set up that show in 2004 I'd seen newspapers and magazine stories of Buckingham's anger and that he might even fight people. In other words, like I said, he was someone who may not be a nice guy at all. So now, the time has passed, and it's 10.40 p.m. The band is still on the stage, and uh, they just did the song Secondhand News by Lindsey Buckingham. And Lindsey comes off the stage sweating profusely, an assistant hands Lindsay a towel and he wipes his face with it. And then he sits down on the amp that was backstage. And he tucks the towel underneath his hip and he looks at it like he wants to make sure it's there. And then he looks back at the stage. And after about a minute, he shifted his weight and I see that the towel fell to the ground. Well, immediately I'm standing just a few feet away. I take three steps, bend down, smile, grab the towel. It wasn't on the floor for more than two seconds. 
And at that moment, Lindsay sees me as I stand back up. So smiling, I reach out and hand him, you know, try to hand him the towel. And I'm saying nothing because it's too loud to talk as the rest of the band is, you know, still jamming on stage. And, you know, it's, we're backstage. It's super loud. And then he grabs the towel from my hand like I had stolen something. And then he steps toward me, making a face like he wants to fight. Well, the hair on my neck stood up, and all of a sudden, a great feeling of dread came over me. Almost automatically, my body shifted slightly. So that I was no longer facing him completely. And was setting myself up to defend myself, as if he intended to move towards me again. Alexis, skip. At that moment, time slowed to an infinite crawl. Alexis, skip. Everything seemed to be moving in an extra super slow motion. I see his eyes scrunch up in anger. Alexis, skip. Sorry for all the skips, folks. Trying to get some Fleetwood Mac music on here. Alexis, skip. Let's try this again. All right. Alexa, stop. Alexa, play some Fleetwood Mac music. Shuffling Fleetwood Mac and similar artists on Amazon Music. Let's see. Wow, Alexa, skip. This is creepy. I can't get a Fleetwood Mac song to come up. Let's try something else. Alexa, stop. So, let's go back to this for a second now. At that moment, time slowed to an infinite crawl. I'm facing off with Lindsey Buckingham. He's staring me down like he wants to fight me. And my body shifts. I see his eyes scrunch up in anger. And everything seemed to be moving in extra super slow motion at this point. From my peripheral vision, I see his fists clench up and he looks like he's about to to attack. So without being aggressive, like I said, I was shifting my body weight almost automatically when he he wanted to face off with me. So instead of being, you know, in a head-on face-off with this freaking lunatic of a person, I kept staring directly into his eyes while my right hand was slowly moving back behind me to reach for the crescent wrench that I had in my back pocket. It was eight inches of solid steel. And what went through my mind at that second was, if he flinches or moves even half an inch, I am gonna break this guy with this wrench and make sure that he never raises his hand at anyone ever again without thinking about it. And that literally went through my crazy skull as I'm staring down Mr. Big Deal Rockstar Deluxe Lindsey Buckingham jerk that he is. And when he saw the seriousness in my eyes, when he saw that I wasn't backing down, after about four seconds, he blinks, turns away really quick and just walks away. And I'm guessing at this point in his life, he was used to people seeing that pissy-faced, bitch-ass diva bullshit. And instead of facing him down, they probably turned away. 
but I wasn't gonna turn away from this guy because I knew he was a jerk and I said to myself, if he's been a jerk this many times, crap, if he swings at me, I'll defend myself and then sue him for attacking me. So, that's the way I, I felt about it. And uh, usually most people would turn and walk away instead of facing him. But I wasn't going anywhere as I had done nothing to run from or turn away from. Saw BS all day. I never liked the guy because I'd heard so much trash about him that was actually seeming to come true in front of me. And now here he was acting out in front of me. Nope, I was going nowhere. And if he tried to hit me, I was gonna defend myself and then sue that bastard. And you know, this was the only time, this was the only time that in, 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 in all the years, uh, you know, that, that I had worked with celebrities at NBC on big movies and radio stations and concerts. And that this particular guy, the one great singer and sort of to, songwriter to me, is, was, and still has been a total dick. I would have liked, you know, the story to have been far much more of an all, we all lived happily ever after kind of thing. But the choice was made to make a peaceful and kind, you know, thing into an act of, of aggression and near violence. And you, Mr. Lindsey Buckingham, deserve no respect for that, for that day and so many other times you acted out without any good reason when you had the world at your feet begging to be who you were or trying to see you. I don't get any pleasure out of telling a story like this either, you know? other than the catharsis of retelling a sort of traumatic moment, you know, in that way that only catharsis works. Folks, thank you for listening today to Most Swell Supreme Storytelling Time. I'm, hope you, I'm hoping that you enjoyed that story. And uh, if you have any friends that would like to listen to a story about Fleetwood Mac, please forward this to them. And uh, share it with anybody who might get something out of one of these crazy stories I tell. There's a whole bunch of them, and I hope you sure enjoyed, you know, what I've been doing. Anyway, thank you again for tuning in. There'll be another story coming up here soon on the most swell supreme storytelling time. I'm your host, Stephen Scott Srebrenik, and I hope you have a most swell and ultimately supreme day. <laughs>